Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our risen and living Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God's word which we meditate upon this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 25 verses 14 to 30 and we'll be taking it in pieces. We're going to start with verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. There are a number of Jesus' parables that begin like this one with the description of a man or a king or a landowner leaving on a journey. These parables Jesus gives to us near the end of his ministry. The one before us today is during Holy Week, only a day or two before his betrayal and death. And that's not really surprising because Jesus is knowing what is coming, is trying to prepare his disciples. John reminds us in his Gospel, chapter 16, verse 7, this is just after instituting the Lord's Supper as he's talking with his disciples on the same night he was betrayed. He tells them, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Jesus knows what's coming. He knows his death and afterwards his ascension. He knows he's leaving and he wants his people, his disciples, us, prepared. These parables are a looking forward to that time that we're in now while we are waiting for his coming and Jesus telling us what we ought to be doing while we wait. Now you notice how well this parable today fits with the one we heard last week. Last week we had Matthew 25, 1 to 13, or just the next verse now, the parable that comes right after. That was the parable of the ten virgins, which reminded us to always be prepared to be ready. And now we have this parable that comes and explains to us how to be ready, how to be prepared. He is instructing us about his leaving, about his ascension. And these parables that talk about his leaving, about his ascension, share, uh, they, they teach us different things. They have different elements to them, but they all share two things other than the fact that a man leaves. And the first is that that one who leaves, the king, the landowner who leaves, always comes back. That reminds us how Jesus is coming as we wait for him, right? He's going to come back, and we're going to talk more about that next Sunday. But the second thing is that before he departs, he always gives treasures to his people. We see that in this parable. Uh, he called his servants and delivered his goods to them. In another parable, he gives uh, a vineyard and, and takes care of it. In another one, he gives uh, a kingdom. In this parable, he gives his treasures, his goods. Before Jesus leaves... Before he ascends, and during the time he is ascended, he showers his gifts, his goods, his treasures upon his people. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Ephesians 4, verse 8, where he's quoting from Psalm 68. He ascended on high, he led captivity captives, and gave gifts to men. The Apostle Paul continues a couple verses later, telling us the purpose of these gifts for the equipping of the saints... Oh, did we go too far? Missed one there. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Before leaving us, Jesus 
wants his apostles. He wants us to be ready. He wants us to have what we need for the purpose, for the work of the ministry so that we can continue his work while he's gone. He delivers his goods, his treasures, the treasures of the kingdom to us. And he reassures us. He encourages us. He says, if there's anything you're lacking, if there is anything you need, ask and it will be given. Jesus, knowing that he's about to depart, delivers the treasures of his kingdom, delivers his goods to his servants. We continue with verses 15 to 18. And to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. What are these talents that this man is is giving to his servants? A talent uh, in Jesus' day was a measurement of weight. And depending upon where you lived in the time period, it could be anything from 33 pounds to 100. That's quite a difference, but um, it changed depending on the area. Most commentators suggest it was probably around 75 pounds at the time of Jesus. And since we're talking about money here, we know that it was either silver or gold. So at the very least, one talent was at the very least 33 pounds of silver, which today would be worth about $10,000, and in Jesus' day it was probably worth a lot more. These are not coins that this man is delivering to his servants. He's not giving them a few dollars, is he? He's pouring out his treasures upon them. Even the lowest amount that he gives, even one talent, uh, is worth more than $10,000. Probably the, These men probably could have bought kingdoms with this treasure that their master gives to them. More important than what a talent meant in Jesus' day, of course, is, well, what does Jesus want us to understand? What is he giving to us? Now, when we think of talents, we usually think right away of skills that we might personally be proficient in. We have Lila playing so beautifully on the piano today, and Anne does as well, and my wife. can't leave my wife out. I'll get in trouble, right? We got the Naumans are good hunters. Oh, I should ask how many deer you got before I... We can find out after church if they're good hunters or not, right? When we think of talents, we usually think about these personal skills. And certainly, those are gifts from God, gifts from the Holy Spirit. Each of us is unique and different, and together we work together so well. And certainly, we ought to use those to the glory of God. Paul reminds us, do all that you do, do to the the glory of God. But thinking in that way is thinking small. It's is thinking earthly. We want to elevate our thinking. We want to think like God. And when God talks about the gifts that he showers upon us, the treasures that he gives to us before his ascension, what does he talk about? So we can go back to Ephesians again, where Paul was talking about the fact that he gave gifts to men, and see what Paul mentions there in Ephesians 4.11. He mentions apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. He mentions those who preach the word of God. Again, we could look at uh, 1 Corinthians 12. Here Paul is again talking about the gifts of God that are given through the Holy Spirit. And he mentions a word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, faith, 
Uh, and then he also mentions healing, miracles, prophecies, discerning of spirits. But you notice that first and foremost, it's that understanding. It's that word of God. Maybe a little more to the point, we could go back and look at, well, what does Jesus say just before he ascends? What gifts does Jesus give to his apostles just before he ascends? We go back to Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And first and foremost, you see here his word, his sacraments, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus talks about the talents, the treasures of heaven that he's pouring out upon his people, certainly we don't want to demean, we're very thankful for those personal skills, we're very thankful for our, our organists, uh, we're very thankful for some of the other skills that God has given to us in the church, but <clears throat> we have uh, treasures far greater than that. First and foremost, God at Jesus is thinking about his word, his Holy Spirit, the forgiveness of sins, the sacraments, the power that is present with us, his promises to be with us. The man in the parable poured out treasures upon his servants. And God has certainly, Jesus has certainly poured out treasures far greater than gold or silver on his church. Paul reminds us in Ephesians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He has poured out spiritual, heavenly blessings upon us so that we might be strong and courageous. We've been talking about that with the kids. <clears throat> Morning devotions at school, we've been going through the, the book of Joshua. Be strong and of good courage. He has poured out these treasures upon us so that we can be like Joshua, strong and of good courage. We continue with verses. We've got a, a long section here, verses 19 to 30. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he had received five talents, came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of our Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid, and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have in abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Much could be said about the first two servants and how the Lord was with them and how their, their prosperity and the growth of those talents was the Lord's work among them, uh, not their cleverness or, or necessarily their aptitude. Well, we could uh, talk about how the Lord gives us each according to his own ability as well, but I really want to focus on that last servant. There's something very, very important going on there. Every most, almost every parable that, that Jesus tells has a point at which the parable becomes absurd. It just doesn't follow what we expect from an earthly point of view. In some parables it's pretty obvious, like uh, the prodigal son and the absurdity of the father's response when the son comes back. We, we look at that and we say, well, what father would, would react that way? And it's showing the grace of God, right? Or the, the 99 sheep, the lost sheep, and, the, and he leaves 99 to spend for themselves to look for the one. Other parables, it's maybe a little easier to miss or to, to gloss over. And in fact, sometimes we have a tendency to gloss over it or to explain it away. For example, the, the good Samaritan and the great lengths that Samaritan goes to to take care of that, that injured man. We might say, well, well, th that's a little out there. That's a little absurd. Surely Jesus doesn't mean us uh, that we have to do all that for anyone we see hurting. So it's easy to, to brush over these points or to try and explain them away, but if instead we stop and meditate upon that very point where the parable just becomes strange or odd, we almost always find the grace of God on display for us there. The same thing is true here. It, see, it might seem very odd to us that Jesus so thoroughly condemns this last servant. After all, what did he do wrong? I mean, we could understand why Jesus might not praise him. He doesn't really do anything right either. But <clears throat> to condemn him? I mean, he gave back what was given to him. He didn't lose any of the money, right? We would say, well, he didn't steal. He didn't lie. He didn't cheat. He didn't really do anything wrong. And we might be right in that thinking if Jesus was only talking about money here. We have to go back and remember what it is that Jesus is talking about, what these talents are. These are the gifts of Jesus given to his people on the eve of his ascension and the gifts he continues to pour out upon us. When Jesus talks about talents here, he's talking about the forgiveness of sins, faith, the Holy Spirit, the means of grace, and salvation. And this man takes those gifts of Christ, which Jesus paid for by his blood, and he goes and he buries them in his backyard. He buries the sacraments. He buries the Word of God. He buries the forgiveness of sins as if he has no use for God's gifts in his life. As if to say, well, I don't, I don't want to think about them. I just want to go on with my life and not worry about these treasures that Jesus has given to us from heaven. It would be as if a man bought his fiancée a, a beautiful, a very expensive a diamond engagement ring. And the fiancée were to go and bury that ring in the backyard. That would not only be a rejection of the gift, it would be a rejection of the man who gave it to her. That's what's going on here, isn't it? This man isn't just being cautious. He's not just being lazy. He's rejecting the gifts 
of God. And there are many people who this is their reaction to the gifts that Jesus pours out upon us. Well, okay. I'm just going to leave them back there, buried where they'll be safe, where I don't have to think about them or worry about them. You know, there are some who think that uh, the real gifts of Jesus is babbling in tongues and, and performing miracles. I don't really care that much about the sacraments, the word, the forgiveness of sins. And there are others who grow up learning about his word and, and his receiving his sacraments and then decide that they, they've had enough, they know enough. No, we don't really need to worry about that. And so we'll go and we bury them. Jesus has delivered to us treasures. Treasures worth far more than diamonds or gold or silver. Treasures worth far more than anything else on this earth. To bury them is not just to be lazy, but to reject Jesus and his love. Jesus continues to shower his gifts upon us every day. And what will you do with these gifts? You can receive them with joy. You can use them every day of your life. And if you use them, they will produce fruits. We don't often recognize those fruits. We don't often, aren't a, often we aren't able to judge those fruits for ourselves. We might often say, well, well, what fruit is it producing in my life? And I've mentioned before, you know, our daughter Kaylee, she, she goes to therapy twice a week and sometimes it seems to us like she's not making any progress, but people who don't see her for a month or so come and see her and they're like, oh wow, look at how much better she's doing. And so very often that, that growth isn't so obvious to ourselves, but God's grace, God's gifts will produce fruits in your life. Or you can go and bury them. Jesus isn't demanding in this parable that we show up to Judgment Day and are able to say, here, Lord, here are the two or three or ten people that I've converted and brought to faith. The parable isn't suggesting that if we, we come to the last day and don't have at least one person we can point to, that, they are, that, that, that we're not going to be let into heaven and we're going to be condemned like that, that third servant. What Jesus is telling us instead is, I've delivered to you the treasures of heaven. I've given them to you so you can use them to grow in faith and in love. To daily be reminded that you are forgiven through Jesus Christ. To put aside the sins of yesterday and walk again in the newness that Christ has given you. To rejoice in His Word and in His sacraments. If you found a pirate treasure buried in your backyard, would you go and rebury it? I never understood that about pirate treasure. Apparently, there's so many pirates who buried their treasure. That's what all the stories say, right? And what good does it do to steal a bunch of treasure and then bury it? What good does it do you if you dig up a, a pirate treasure to rebury it? The very least you could do is go and put it in the bank. And that's what Jesus says is here as well. The very least you can do is go and put it in the bank. Make use of it every day of your life. Jesus ascended on high and poured out his gifts upon his church. Most importantly, the forgiveness of sins, his word, and his sacrament. These are our precious gifts. He doesn't want us to be afraid of them, but to use them and rejoice in them every day of our life. Amen.
The peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.